0: When I was in ninth grade, a long time ago, my best friend's name was Alan. Alan was a a senior in high school, and he had a a kid sister whose name was Judy. She was a a junior in high school. And then there was a a lady um, who taught our preschool at the Christian school at First Baptist Stewartville, Minnesota. And her name was Linda, not my wife. And the four of us uh, used to do things together. Sometimes after church, we'd go over to uh, the house where Linda and another single teacher lived, and we'd play rook um, until I had to go home to go to bed because <laughs> I was the kid. And occasionally we'd go on day trips. We would take we would pack ourselves into... Uh, Alan's old station wagon, and we would take off for some place, the four of us, on a Saturday. Well, during that time in my life, my, my grandfather um, took my family to a place called The House on the Rock in Spring Green, Wisconsin. And I was impressed. I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's a unique architecture. Um, the collections, they, there's a is that, are they called callalapes? I think I may have put in too many syllables in that word, but they were rooms full of musical instruments. You put a quarter in, probably cost $5 today. You put a quarter in and the room would explode into sound. And, and I was just really impressed with the house on the rock. And so I came back and I told my friends, Alan and Judy and Linda, about the awesome place we ought to go to in Spring Green, Wisconsin, called the House on the Rock. And my friends agreed, we set a day, <coughs> and we all piled in at Alan's station wagon and drove to the house on the rock. About an hour into the trip, I started to get a panic mode. Here I am, the ninth grader, and we got a junior, a senior, and a, um, a girl out of college. And um, they are going to this place because I said it would be awesome. And I started to say, What if they don't think it's awesome? What, what if they get there and they go, This is really a stupid way to spend a day. What was this punk kid thinking? And, and, I, and I began to worry that perhaps I had oversold the House on the Rock. Well, I needn't have worried. Um, my friends were gracious. We had a great day. They enjoyed the place, the place met their expectations. This morning I'm going to begin a series that I'm calling Jesus Story. I'm not going to walk through one of the Gospels, but three or four Sundays out of the month for the next um, many months, probably going into summer, I'm just going to tell selected stories somewhat chronologically from the life of Jesus Christ. And I enter this knowing that I cannot oversell Jesus. (laughs) Jesus <laughs> in, in fact, I am intimidated by the fact that I can't fully describe him that theologians have tried for two thousand years to explain the mystery that is Christ, how he could be one hundred percent God, and yet one hundred percent man. How, how in the world could he live with us and yet be infinitely holy? I mean, I understand the words omniscience and omnipotence. And I understand that those characters of God fully dwelt inside the person, the man, Jesus. And yet, in our text today, it's said that he increased in learning. How can you be omniscient and yet learn? How, how can you be omnipotent and 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 yet live in a home where you had to go down to the well to get water how, how how can these things be the marvel of Christ how much grace that he has paul spoke of it as being an indescribable gift our salvation how do we how do you explain the love the compassion i mean we see those words in the text describing jesus christ But do we really comprehend the wonder that is Jesus? It is my goal to, in the next months, to have you to know Jesus better than you do today. And I hope that I know Jesus better than I do today. We we start with Luke 2 because, obviously, everybody knows the end that came to pass in those days. And and we're going to back up in December and we're going to talk about The birth of Christ, the baby Jesus from Matthew 1 and 2 and from Luke 1 and 2. This morning I've chosen to start with the only story that we have from when Jesus was two to the time he was 30. The bulk of his life we know absolutely nothing about. We know a lot about the three years he ministered, we know quite a bit about his birth. But what we know about his childhood, and any stories that you've heard, any Catholic uh, fables that you may have heard, uh, please put them aside as just that, stories and fables that are are man-made. There is only one accurate antidote, only one true story of Jesus Christ between the ages of 2 and 30, and it's found in today's text. Um, Joseph, having heard that Herod the Great was dead and yet that his son was going to be ruling in Judea determined to go back home instead of returning to Judea where Jesus was born he was going to go back to Nazareth now Nazareth was a town where we know Mary was from perhaps Joseph grew up there also it's a town living on a little bit of a ledge you know how we have the ledge up here yeah I'm pointing the right direction (coughs) um Nazareth, like our ledge, is, is a, not only a community, but it's also a ledge. It's an ascent that is made out of limestone and is quite inhabitable, just like our ledge. It, uh, different than our ledge, it's a little higher and it goes down the other side. In, in the middle of this top ledge, so you can see all directions, there's the unusual thing of a spring. And of course, everybody knows that if you put a community someplace, there must be a source of water. Uh, today, there's probably about 75,000 Jews and Arabs, mostly Arabs, that live in the city of Nazareth. It is um, about two thirds Muslim, about one third Christian. And whenever I hear the word Christian in the Middle East, I'm very suspect because there's a, <laughs> a large bushel basket of people that call themselves Christian. In that part of the world, Coptics and Catholics and Orthodox and liberals and evangelicals. Well, in the city of Nazareth, there is this place that is host, housed in the YMCA called the Nazareth Experience. And they take foreign, foreigners, American tourists, evangelicals there, so that we can see what Nazareth was like and how it functioned in the days of Jesus Christ. And so we go there and it's part of our tour and you know, I don't know what it costs. So the thousand bucks you give the tour guide to take you around Israel, probably you know, 10, 15 goes to the Nazareth experience for that day. But what their purpose is, is to give the gospel to children who live in that area. I was speaking with um, our guide when we were there um, about 10 years ago now. And this young man said that they have school buses of Arabs, Arab kids that come to this place and so that they may show them what the um, turn of the millennial Nazareth was like. And the whole purpose of this ministry called the Nazareth experience is to take the money from the, the Americans who come over there and then use it to give free tours to school children that come in on buses so they can witness the gospel and tell the Arab boys and girls about the most famous Nazarene ever, Jesus Christ. Well, <clears throat> as you're taking a tour of Nazareth, you know that's the place that Jesus grew up. And there is one spring in town, and today it's probably not in the place where Jesus went, but it, today it, it bubbles out in a, in a church courtyard And I say it's not in the same place because, you know, people have moved rocks and things have changed. But to know that, you know, if you were Mary and you needed water, you would send your oldest son, right? You would tell, hey kid, you know, I need water. And there's only one place to go. And so it's kind of fun to go to Nazareth and think, okay, Jesus had to come to this source of water to get water to take home for Mary and Joseph and the rest of the family. Well, as was their tradition, because Joseph and Mary were practicing uh, the uh, Jewish faith that they had been taught, as was their tradition, come the feast days, especially Passover, they went to Jerusalem. Now, now, when you and I go someplace like, you know, I'm Thanksgiving Day, I'll get in a car and we'll be with family members, and I'll drive across Wisconsin to Minnesota, and I'll I'll eat turkey with my cousins. This wasn't a, a one-day or a two-day thing, because if you're going to leave Galilee and walk to Jerusalem, yes, it's only about maybe 100, 125 miles, but, you know, donkey and feet, it's going to take days. And so they would leave a couple weeks before the Passover, and they would walk, and everybody was going. And, and, and of course, you probably stayed with cousins, or you hung around with cousins, and And you know how it is, you go back to the same hotel or you go to the same cousin's place. And so here it is, Passover, and Jesus and all the cousins and everybody, they're all going to Jerusalem. And they get there, they observe the Passover. Think about what that must have been like to a 12-year-old boy. I mean, to watch the sacrifices, to see the gold. I, I was downtown Chicago a week ago saturday and 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 lynn says to me i'm trying real hard not to look up because i don't want to look like a tourist but you know if you're from fond du lac and you you, in a bus drops you off downtown chicago you start going like this right can you imagine being a 12 year old boy from nazareth and watching the passover going to the courtyard of the temple and watching one lamb after another sacrificed can you imagine all the smells and sounds the sights the gold, the, the ornate costumes that the priests had on. And then can you imagine growing as a child and, and then he's also God? What did he know? You know and and that's, there's the tension that I don't understand. What, what did he know about himself and his future and that temple? So, so they're there for the Passover Passover. And then the story goes that Joseph and Mary return home to Nazareth and they forget Jesus. Now, maybe Dale Struska could explain how this could possibly happen. Um, To to leave a child behind. You know, to to give Mary and Joseph a little grace. Africans and Europeans, or Africans and Asians, rather, think different than europeans who live in america okay in this it's more clan it's more community it's it's less just our family it's not unusual to be reared in that culture by maybe an uncle or and 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 so and and jesus had brothers and sisters we know and from the stories we get um Jude and James were probably about the age of maybe John and James, the Jesus disciples. So, John and James, the disciples of Jesus, were about the age of James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus. And so, it makes sense to me that they weren't too many years younger than Jesus. So, here's the story, right? Jesus, Joseph, Mary, and siblings go down and they worship at the Passover. And after they've been at the Passover, Joseph and Mary head home, and if you're a 12-year-old boy, who are you going to hang with, your cousins or your folks and the younger siblings? Huh? Who are you gonna ha- you're going to hang with the people who play soccer. You're going to hang with the people who can move a little bit, and they don't have to be dragged along by some, you know, donkey or a baby, and don't have to stop to, you know, change the baby and you know, all that inconveniences of little kids. So, who do you think Jesus would rather be with? Joseph and Mary and the younger siblings or teenagers? So, I'm not terribly surprised. I'm going to cut Joseph and Mary some grace. They get to the assigned place where they're going to spend the night and Joseph looks around, maybe sees the teenage cousins who are playing soccer and he begins to ask them, where's Jesus? Jesus? Haven't seen him all day. No, no, when we left Jerusalem, he was, where's Jesus? And, and, and I doubt they left that night, but I don't think Joseph and Mary slept very much. As they realized that Christ was not with them. And so they were going to head back to Jerusalem. What, what did they do with the other kids? What happened to James and Jude? Did did Joseph and Mary drag them back to Jerusalem too? Or did some other relative take the kids, at least the non nursing ones, and take them back to, to Nazareth while Jesus, while Joseph and Mary returned to Jerusalem to look for Jesus? Don't know. Three days. Okay, mom, three days you don't know where your twelve year old is. Three days you spend looking for your kid three days jesus is in the temple and he's talking with the, the the king james says the doctors new king james says teachers the 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 word more literally translated is teachers but when it's used of christ most of the times in the new testament when it talks about jesus the man it, it, it is the word master So implicit in this word is the idea of authority. Imagine, if you will, the Senate chambers in Washington, D.C., United States of America. There is Ron Johnson. There is Tammy Baldwin. There is the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell. There is the Senate Minority Leader, Chuck Schumer. And among these most famous people in the most august, deliberative body in the world, these people have been spending the last three days asking questions of and talking with Timothy Marsh, a 12-year-old. They, they have been asking him about international espionage and Vladimir Putin. They've been talking to him about Latin American immigration. They've talk, been talking, speaking with him and asking him questions about Afghanistan and Iran and China and trade and North Korea and nuclear disarmament and taxes it would be incredible to think, almost unimaginable, that Timothy Marsh would captivate these senators for three days. You say, Pastor, that's, that's almost ridiculous. No, no assault on Timothy Marsh, but that's crazy. Uh-huh. And he was a 12-year-old boy sitting with those same people in the temple. And they were listening to him. As I thought about this this week, I, I, I thought, three days. Who fed him? Where did he go at night? I mean, the, the temple's a 24-hour thing. Did he just sleep there? Did he go sleep in the street? Did he go home with one of the, the scribes? Did Did one of the guys who teach the law say... Hey, well, you know, where are you sleeping tonight? I don't know. Why don't you come you know, crash in my courtyard? That'd be all right. Because, you know, they, they kind of did the courtyard thing. And so, you know, hey, you know, my place is safe. Come stay there. Did Jesus, Jesus just scavenge in the sleep? Go from garbage pile to garbage pile? Finding things? Begging to have food? Because I know 12-year-old boys eat. Joseph and Mary finally come to the temple. And they see him. And Mary is beside herself. And she explodes. I mean, what would you have done? You see the kid, and there's two things. One, immense relief. He's safe and he's alive. And then, intense, I commend Joseph for not shedding Christ's blood right then and there. Yes? And and Mary, hey, we've spent three days looking for you. What are you thinking? Right? Here's a sidebar. Why do you discipline your children? I would propose to you that many times we discipline our children because they have inconvenienced us. Or irritated us. And not because they have disobeyed us. You ever notice that your level of discipline is sometimes equal to your level of inconvenience? The more trouble a kid is to you, the more he disturbs your rest or your meal, the more likely you will lash out and decide that that child needs to be corrected. (laughs) Excuse me. I don't blame Mary and Joseph for their response. Know this, whatever he did, Jesus did not sin. He did not disobey. I can almost see the smile begin to creep on the face of these men who have been confounded by the understanding of this boy as his mama scolds him. Kind of cutting the kid down to size a little bit. Jesus calmly replied to his mom. Didn't you know? Didn't you know? Did, n- note something in your text. Look at your Bible for a minute here. and Or for as long as you will. I'm not going to tell you to don't look at your Bible. N- note at verse 51. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Now, go over, and if you color in your Bible, you might want to mark these two phrases. Note verse nineteen this is This is the night the angel showed up the day Jesus was born twelve years ago, twelve years before this, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, Mary, who the angel came to and said you 're going to get pregnant, and it 's going to be the holy spirit that 's going to come upon you and make you pregnant and she knew the wonder and, and you know the only human being who has absolutely sure that it was a virgin birth by by empirical evidence is mary and and so she at the birth of christ wondered pondered was amazed at what these angels said and and just Okay, how does this go with what the angel told me and then here in this this text when Jesus comes back at her and says, "Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business?" And 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 I'm sure she's at this point looking forward to what is this life of this child going to be like? This 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 boy that I I nursed, this boy that I potty trained, this boy that I taught to walk, this boy that talks a lot like me, this boy that I sent off to to the, the 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 synagogue school this this boy who runs to the well and gets water for me this this child of mine my firstborn what what's going to happen to him what's god how how can you say as a parent what's god going to do with my son when god is your son My title this morning comes from verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. Notice, and became strong in spirit. And again, how can the immutable, unchanging, omnipotent God become strong in spirit? Filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. And then look over at verse 52, where I'm really going to draw my outline. And Jesus increased. Again, there is a progressive thing here. This this isn't something that he always was, at least not as a human. So the God who always was omnipotent and omniscient learned like we do. Because he increased in wisdom and stature. He grew physically and in favor with God and man. He grew spiritually, and he grew socially. My thesis: every child of God should grow as Jesus grew. Little children, we expect them to grow. We expect them to mature in their IQ, in their intelligence. We we had a, a closet where we marked the kids as they grew. We don't do that anymore. Now we've got a, a board hanging on a wall where we mark where the grandchildren are. You know, and they're they're and, and it's always oh look. Twelve months ago they were here they've grown three inches this year. Ah, can you imagine d- doing that with a child and say, "Oh, look, two years ago you were here, and you still are. You know if the child is less than you know twelve, there's something wrong with that, right? We expect them to grow. Well, ought not we grow? And that would be my precedent my my foundation this morning every child of god should grow as jesus grew number one every child of god ought to be growing in wisdom it says he became strong he grew jesus expanded he increased in wisdom proverbs 1 7 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom None of us, no Christian in this room, woke up on this one morning and found out that we were spiritually wise or that we were spiritually mature or that we were godly. If you are godly, or maybe let me say it this extent, this way, to the extent this morning that you are godly or that you are spiritually mature or that you have wisdom, it's because of the choices that you've made. It's because of the submission that you've practiced in relationship to the Word of God. It's a consequence It just doesn't happen. I didn't grow up one morning and voila, I can play the piano. Isn't that amazing? What happened? No, no, I had a mean mom. That's what happened. There were many hours spent practicing. That's what happened. And so if you are going to be spiritually mature, it is because you're going to discipline yourself to increase in wisdom. The mission statement of Trinity Baptist School reads like this. TBS desires to team with parents by providing a quality Christ-centered education. Here's the part I want you to hear. And produce young people committed to Jesus Christ who take a scriptural leadership role in their families, church, and communities. I remember the school committee meeting when this policy was, was suggested as being our mission statement. And I remember thinking of the school board member who who suggested it, that it was pretty ostentatious. That we want the kids, the 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that are in our church school to be leaders, spiritual, scripturally knowledgeable leaders in our homes, in our community, and in our congregation. Too often, I think, youth are given a pass. A few years back, there was a ministry in Wisconsin that imploded. Lynn and I were speaking with one of the moms, a mom, a pastor's wife, whose son was on the leadership team of that ministry when it crashed. He was about 30, 35 years old. And and, and she made an argument. When I started challenging the lack of wisdom and the lack of doctrinal integrity of that organization and, and that caused its demise, she said to me this. She said, They're just boys. They're just young. And I didn't say to her, but I wanted to say, the man's 30. At what point is he going to be held accountable for his theology? If a man is 25, ought he not be held accountable for his choices of right and wrong? Shouldn't an 18-year-old be required to know some ethics? When is it time to teach a 12-year-old how to obey? Let me tell you, if you're waiting to teach a 12-year-old how to obey and how to submit, it's too late. You should have started when they were one. I think sometimes we give young people a hall pass and say, "Oh, they're just kids." I propose to you that in some ways that we were amazed with what Jesus did in the temple that day, because we don't teach our own children. We don't expect them to be wise. We don't expect them to be godly. We expect them to watch Spongebob Squarepants and, and, and play games all day. The, the, I'm not against entertainment. Godly entertainment or, or, or non, non-immoral entertainment. But I do think that it's important that we would teach. Sunday school, junior church, Iwana, and Christian education, of whichever variety you may choose, these are helps. But who has the biblical mandate for teaching wisdom to their children? It's parents, especially it's dads. Ephesians 6, 4, "...and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord." Deuteronomy plainly points at fathers as being the people who should teach the word of God and righteousness and truth to their children. The example is given in the Proverbs. And we ought not limit this challenge to children. Sir, how much have you grown spiritually recently? Woman, how much are you growing in wisdom? In understanding and knowing how to use the word of God? Old person, old saint in this room? Are you more prepared today than you were, say, five years ago to be in the leadership position in the coming kingdom? Are, are, are you changing to be more like Jesus? The child grew. Every child of God should grow. We should grow in wisdom, number two. We should grow physically. Physically. Now, I've grown quite enough physically, but there's a point where health, rest, activity, food are necessary components to each one of us and to the growth of children. Our body was created by God for his glory. Misuse or misappropriation of our body is theft. It is sin. I I guess one point that I'd like to make, and I'm not going to spend very much time here and but, But let me just say this, this is not an unimportant topic. The pagans have sometimes separated, and some of the early Christian heresies would separate the spiritual from the physical. You cannot do that. God created us with bodies, and our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and in your body, which are God's. It's not, okay, my spirit is righteous, but my body, that's not important. What I see is not important. What my body eats is not important. What my body feels is not important. What my body does is not important. Now, that's a lie. That's not true. Every child of God should grow in wisdom. Every child of God should grow physically. And, and, and that means at my age, I need to be taking care of what I have and doing the best to make it, max it out, if you will. Every child of God should grow f- spiritually. In favor with God. Pray. And mentor those around you by your prayers. I I always like asking children to pray. And then listening to their prayers. And sometimes I think I hear you. When I'm listening to your child pray. And and sometimes I hear that you don't pray. When I ask your child to pray. Pray. They should learn from you. Now, tell God you love Him. Tell, tell Jesus how much you look forward to seeing Him. You know, that's a little weird. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I can't wait to see you. Isn't that, isn't that a little strange? Really? Why is it strange to tell Jesus that you love Him? To tell Jesus you're looking forward to seeing Him someday? To tell Jesus you can't wait to see Him? That you hope he comes back soon? You say, isn't that kind of like <laughs> childish? Yep. It's godly. That's what it is. We're supposed to come that way. Do you, read, do you read your Bible? Are you growing spiritually? How much were you in the, I know this is guilt trip time, here it comes. How much did you read your Bible since last Sunday morning? I don't mean when Nestor came up here to read this morning, I mean before that. I mean on your own, not, not what you heard on the radio if you were so blessed. That, that you read the Bible this week. Every child of God should grow spiritually in an intimate relationship. And every child of God should grow socially. I believe in graded classes. I, I think children should have opportunity to interact with their peers. They should be taught to act appropriately with adults being around other people stimulates us to spiritual growth. In First Corinthians 11, Paul said that, that he, he could identify those in the congregation who were spiritual by how they interacted with other people. God created us to fellowship with him. But then he commented about Adam that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Of the ten commandments that are in Exodus chapter 20, four are about our relationship with God. Six are about our relationship with other people. I think the communication that happens in this church before and after church is important as relationships are built, as people pray for one another. But what happens even outside this room is maybe more important that you interact with the congregation, that you are fellowshipping, that you're bringing people over to your house. We're supposed to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. You know, if someone doesn't grow up in a certain area, we typecast them. You know, if there's this guy that. You know he's he's clumsy like like I was and am. It, it, he's he's um, not um, not very much maybe into athletes but athletics, but he's big into you know the STEM stuff as they say it today science technology. <coughs> we call that person a geek. You know we typecast him because he's strong in one area and not in the other areas. the The Bible says here in Luke two, and and think about it this way Luke two fifty two is a synopsis and commentary on all of Jesus' life from age 2 to 30. It's the only thing we have in the Word of God about him in those 28 years. And what it says is Jesus grew up, and he did so in wisdom, he did so physically, he did so socially, and he did so spiritually in his relationship with God. not we do the same? I think there is in this verse, and in what I've said this morning, a foundation for a philosophy of child rearing. I think Trinity Baptist Church should challenge every person who comes in contact with us. The moms and the dads, our school, our Awana, our discussions, our Bible studies, should challenge our families and our culture to grow children in all of these areas, to grow ourselves in all of these areas. Every individual here should examine, are you growing, changing, and maturing As God would have you to grow, to change, to mature. Are you growing up? The child grew. The child grew. Are you growing? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this neat story about the child Jesus. It's awesome to wonder. It is... Incredibly practical, though, that we would apply the principles expressed here or the facts, maybe I should say, the principles I've drawn from the facts that are listed in this text that Jesus grew up in these different ways. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Here's your invitation. Are you growing? You say, Pastor, I'm 70 years old. I've done that. No, 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 no. If you're still here, God left you on this planet to do something, right? Are you growing? Are you maturing? Second question. Dad, are you owning your responsibility to your children? Having them in the places where they're going to be taught. Being the example you ought to be in prayer and Bible reading. And speaking of Jesus in the home. Mom, how do you fit into that? Church, how we doing? The child grew. Are we a place, this congregation... Where that is being encouraged, fostered, demanded. May it be so. Devin.
1: All right. The last song we're going to sing is on the screen. Oh great God. Would you please stand? sin, had no ears to hear your voice. Did not know your love's pain had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your spirit Thank you. You are dismissed.